0: Good morning. God's word for us today from 2 Thessalonians chapter 3. These are printed on in inner worship folder on page 8. In the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, we, that's Paul and the other apostles with him, command you, these are the Christians in Thessalonica, the church there. Command you brothers and sisters to keep away from every believer who is idle and disruptive. And does not live according to the teaching you receive from us. For you yourselves know how you ought to follow our example. We were not idle when we were with you, nor did we eat anyone's food without paying for it. On the contrary, we worked night and day, laboring and toiling, so that we would not be a burden to any of you. We did this not because we do not have the right to such help, but in order to offer ourselves as a model for you to imitate. For even when we were with you, we gave you this rule, the one who is unwilling to work shall not eat. We hear that some among you are idle and disruptive. They are not busy, they are busy bodies. Such people we command and urge in the Lord Jesus Christ to settle down and earn the food they eat. And as for you, brothers and sisters, never tire of doing what is good. This is the word of the Lord. I traveled uh, this past week, and while I was traveling, I met two travelers, two different kinds of travelers, and I remembered them as I studied these words, because I think they're going to help us understand what these words mean for us today. They're going to get us in that direction. So I want to introduce to you Anxious Andy. Anxious Andy is a traveler. He's the guy who is at gate A31 in the airport. And he's like, the, he's the first guy there. He's a half an hour early and he's at the gate and he's standing there. And the problem is he's in front of everybody else, but he's boarding group four. You know that guy, right? He's there. And all boarding groups one and two and three, they all have to maneuver around anxious Andy because he just can't wait to get on the plane, but it's not his turn yet. And he gets on the plane and they get in the air and anxious Andy's knee is bouncing nervously on the flight as he's calibrating the exact arrival time as it compares to his next departure time and which gate it's going to be and what gate he's landing at so he can just have all this predictability and control over his travel schedule, which doesn't always work when you're traveling. He finally makes it to his destination he arrives at where the shuttle is supposed to be picking him up, and there's no shuttle, and oh, he's so distraught and worried, and he has to find the phone number. Well, he has the phone number of the shuttle company, and he calls him, he says, where's the shuttle? And as, he, as he's on the phone, the shuttle shows up, and he doesn't have to worry so much, and it's fine, and he gets to his destination, and he didn't have to be so nervous about the whole thing. Anxious Andy is so worried about what's next that he can't enjoy what 's now then I met clueless kathy clueless kathy met met me uh, she 's a total stranger we 're standing waiting for the elevator to come, and you know and she broke all social rules of engagement by talking to me as a stranger while we're waiting for the elevator. So she begins talking to me and I start talking to her and then we get in the elevator and she even tells me more which is even more of a breaking of social norms. You don't talk to people when you're in an elevator going up nine floors, but she did. And everyone else on the elevator she told her story to and we all eventually got off the elevator and I was the last one on, on the top floor on the higher floor. And uh, she said to me, Oh no, I missed my floor. She was so busy talking to people she didn't push her floor button in the elevator. Earlier that day, Clueless Kathy had missed her company carpool that was headed to the airport because at, back at home, she just had to check Facebook for the morning and try to finish up those dishes that were sitting in the kitchen sink. See, see Clueless Kathy is so focused on what's now, she often misses what's next. Most of us here today probably resemble... Either anxious Andy or clueless Kathy in one way or another. I, they really help us get to the nub of this, this uh, sermon text, particularly this verse, which I think summarizes the text well, verse 11. Paul writes, We hear that some among you are idle and disruptive. They are not busy. They are busy bodies. When I read that at first, I thought, now, how is it possible to be both idle, not doing anything, lazy, right, withdrawn, quiet, and disruptive? Uh, how can you be idle and disruptive at the same time? I, I'm going to show you. Your five-year-old is sitting on the sofa. It's 9, 10 p.m., and he's playing video games despite the fact that you have told him five times to go brush his teeth before bed, and he has not. He's sitting quietly playing video games. Is that a problem? Or your your wireless connection in your cable in your house, they go out. You can't watch the big game. You can't connect to the world via Wi-Fi. There's no Facebook, no email. Ah! And you call Time Warner, and you say, yeah, I, you, you need to fix this, and and you can't talk to anyone because they put you on hold for thirty-five minutes. Is that a problem? See, sometimes a state of nothingness or not being idle is an issue. It's really a unique Greek word in the original language of New Testament. In this in this uh, piece of the Bible. And it's a Greek word that translations have struggled to, to figure out or, or at least to capture in the English. Um, most of the former translations all just said idle, right? Those, those people who are idle. Some of them even use the word lazy. Uh, the NIV 2011 that we use now added and disruptive. So now you have this idle and disruptive. Um, they're trying to get closer to the meaning of this word, which literally means not Ordered. I think a good translation is undisciplined that results in a lack of productivity. That was really the issue and what Paul was getting at among these believers. Those who are undisciplined, unordered, unarranged with a lack of productivity. Uh, and so we see that here. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to use a very simple, small phrase for that today. Bad, busy. Hey, everyone's busy. Even retired people are busy. Babies are busy. We're all all busy. It's just a matter of what kind of busy you are. Good busy or bad busy. Jesus was good busy. Jesus was not unordered or undisciplined. Jesus focused and, and was determined and had priorities in his life and his ministry. Right? Jesus said that he wants you to seek the kingdom of God first. right? He is establishing priorities in his teaching. Jesus says, Love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, all your strength, all your mind, and love your neighbor as your... Those are priorities. Jesus was... Uh, so focused in his life on fulfilling the prophecies of the Old Testament to the letter. Right? He is focused on his Father's will for him and on the prophecies that wrote about it from the Old Testament. Jesus was speaking to Mary and Martha about, about his saving work and his, and his written scriptures and his word. And he said, this is the one thing needful. See how Jesus was so, so focused He had priorities, good busy. And Jesus understood the dangers of doing everything. Jesus didn't do everything. Jesus didn't get on a boat and sail to Africa to dig a well of clean water for a thirsty village that had no clean water. He didn't do that. Jesus didn't... uh, Didn't uh, fight crime in Capernaum like Batman in Gotham. Jesus didn't do that. Jesus didn't bless pets. None of those are bad. As a matter of fact, all of those are good. But Jesus didn't do any of those. Why? Because he wanted to focus on God's assignment for him as Priority as the most important thing? What was God's assignment to him? The scriptures say the reason the Son of God appeared was to destroy the devil's work. The angels said to Joseph and to Mary, You shall name him Jesus because he shall. Save His people from their sins. that's what Jesus means. Yeshua, He saves. Jesus came to save us from our sins. He was so focused on that he didn't want mission drift or anything to take him away from that. And so even the Son of God didn't do everything. He's teaching us that it's OK for us, for you to not do everything either, whether you're a busy mom whether you're a student striving for a strong GPA or scholarship, whether you're in the corporate world and need to prove yourself to your peers, whether you're a dad who's uh, driven on a mission to provide for his family, right? Not, not, we, none of us have to do everything. As a matter of fact, we better not. Because so if I'm doing everything, then I'm not focused on what I'm supposed to be doing, my calling from God. There were people Jesus didn't heal. There were towns where Jesus did not go and preach. There were people in the crowds coming to Jesus, reaching out for him, heal me, and he didn't touch them or heal them or even pray with them. All of those would have been good. He was concerned about all of them, but even God doesn't do everything choice. Ever hear people talk about those who want to try to do everything? Maybe that's you. Maybe you've had some come up to you and say, you know, I'm really concerned about you. You're you're, just trying to do too much. You're overwhelmed. You're stressed out. You know, you got to be careful because it's like you're playing God. It's like you want to be God. Let me tell you something about that. Even God doesn't do everything. Right? So, If you're trying to do everything, you're actually not trying to play God. You're trying to be better than God. You're trying to be bigger than God if you're trying to do too much. If you're bad busy doing everything in your life, is that a problem? It is for God because there's only one God and it's not you. And it is for you because when you try to play God, you mess it up really bad because none of us are that good at being God, are we? I say that as a warning and also as an encouragement. You don't have to do everything to be good busy. As a matter of fact, good busy doesn't do everything. All right. There's a command here then in verse 12. Paul writes this, Such people, people who are bad busy we command and urge in the Lord Jesus Christ to settle down and earn the food that they eat. So, there were, there were two groups of people in the church at Thessalonica. There were people who were busy doing nothing and people who were busy doing everything. Okay, it's those people that Paul is talking about. Um, and it's the difference between busyness and productivity. Right, busyness? I'm busy either doing nothing or I'm busy doing too much. I'm busy doing everything, and I don't have focus, I don't have order, I don't have my priorities in mind, what I'm supposed to be doing. So the group of people who are busy doing nothing, some people in that group were looking for Jesus' return and thinking it was going to come so soon. It was, it was tomorrow. It's going to happen soon. And so they sold their boat, sold their car, sold their house, disengaged from friendships and relationships, um, wrote goodbye notes to all their family, and quit their job. Well, Jesus is coming soon. None of that matters. And then they sat idly. And Paul says, that's a problem. They've totally checked out of life like an anxious Andy, so worried about what's next. They're not taking care of what's now. And then the church, because they're a loving group of people, was taking care of those people who quit their jobs, and now it was draining the church budget. That Paul says that was an issue. Now it's making us drift from our mission of saving souls to, to paying for meals for people who, who, aren't, who quit their jobs. Just a focus of priority. Then there were the people who were busy doing everything. They were, they were so busy do, doing it all, getting it all done. Oh, I forgot to go to work this month. Oh, well, there goes my paycheck. They, they were just so busy, so distracted. They were, they were too busy to help in church, too busy to read their Bibles. That's a problem too. And again, the congregation had to step in and, and provide for the, those people. That's why Paul says, listen, um, this is a command, and it's a command from, from Jesus himself. Uh, watch out. It gets even more serious. Listen to this, verse six. In the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, we command you, brothers and sisters, to keep away from every believer who is idle and disruptive and does not live according to the teaching you received from us. Bad busy is at the end of the day bad. Wrong. The sin. It goes against Jesus' teaching, says that right here. This is not a pet peeve of Paul. Paul's not some time management guru who gets upset about people who are late. This is an issue about a teaching of Jesus that people are disobeying by being busy doing nothing or busy doing everything and just plain bad busy. And it needs to stop. So Paul says to the others who aren't caught up in this trap, watch out. Don't get sucked into that bad busyness. Stick, keep away from those other believers. Be very careful. That's this is serious business. We need to look at those words wisely and carefully and let them remind us about the importance of accountability in our own midst as Christian brothers and sisters, in our church, in the late service people group, in your connect groups, in your Bible study, in your own family, among your own close friends perhaps, especially Christian friends hold each other accountable to what kind of busy we are. You have not just the right, but the assignment from God to hold me as your friend and as your pastor accountable for my busyness. If I'm busy in a way that's getting in the way of what God wants me to be doing, you come to me and you say, hey, pastor, hey, Darren, what's going on in your life? I'm seeing this. Tell me about it. And then we can decide together if I'm being bad busy or not. And if I am, I repent. And each other in your families and as Christians are holding, holding us as our, our church leaders and our church accountable. We don't want a church that's bad busy either. And so that accountability factor comes in and it's so important. If we don't hold each other accountable, it means one of two things. Either we don't care or we don't believe in the true teaching of Jesus, neither of those are true. So we need to be brave enough and and, uh, intent enough to hold each other accountable in a loving way to these words that God has given us through Paul. That's the importance of productivity. And when we do that, God's going to accomplish his good purpose in us. When we do that, we are going to find that that we're not hindering the purpose of and plan of God in our lives and for us as a church, but we're, we're helping it along by being good busy. Now, uh, I want to spend the rest of the time giving you three specific reasons why this is so important. Okay, and none of them are about time management and, and about, uh, you can Google productivity all you want and hear all kinds of good stuff and some of you even study this stuff in your jobs and at school. Um, but it's biblically important For three reasons. The first reason that it's important is I want to illustrate that by, and maybe I'm a little closer to this than you are, but but our building project in Pflugerville, man, that's frustrating me. If if I haven't shown it and you haven't seen it in me, I'm just gonna say it right now. That's frustrating me. We were supposed to have a building in 2015, like last almost two years ago now, and we don't have a building there in Pflugerville yet. We should have some of your kiddies in our preschool, and we should be adding. Classes by now? then we should, in Pflugerville, we should be worshiping in there and we're still setting up chairs and tables? Ah! And, you know, as a congregation, it kind of feels like that it's, it's, it's robbed us of some momentum in some ways as we made some plans for it and we've seen delay and this delay and that delay. Now we're supposed to be done with the building in spring of 2018. Wait, there is another delay. Now it's fall of 2018. Jesus why are we waiting for our building? Why are there so many delays? How about this for a game changer? If we, if we study the scriptures and here in Thessalonians, in general, why Jesus waits to do things and this in, including our build, building project but many other things, it's always the same story for two reasons. And so, those two reasons are wrapped up in this. It's not so much that we're waiting for Jesus, but that Jesus is waiting for us to be good busy. If you look in the scriptures as to why Jesus waits, whether it's a building project, or whether it's uh, maybe you're waiting to find Mr. or Mrs. Wright, or you're waiting for the right job or you're waiting for God to give you clarity about a decision. Or you're waiting for healing or you're waiting you don't even know what you're supposed to be healed from. You're just waiting for a diagnosis. You're waiting for the for the right career. You're yeah, right? Why we wait, why does God make us wait? In Thessalonians it talks about Jesus waiting for it to return on Judgment Day. And elsewhere in the Scriptures, it tells us why he's waiting. Two reasons. One is, when it comes to Judgment Day, God says in his word, I'm waiting because there's people out there who aren't believers yet, who are part of my elect, destined to save souls, and they need to become believers before I end this world. Kind of like in the days of Noah, who built the ark, 120 years God waited, not so that Noah would have the time to build the ark. He could do that. He wanted people to come on board this big boat and to see Noah at work and say, what's going on? Noah said, well, there's going to be a big flood and God's doing this. Me can save you. Come on board. And, And only alligators and tigers and cockroaches came on board. No people except Noah's family. But God waited patiently so that people could be saved. And in Thessalonians, it talks about God waiting to send Jesus and return again because He's working on you and in your heart, and He He wants you to be maturing, and He's He's uh, He's He's preparing you for the day when He comes. Um, he's maturing you so that you can be ready, not as not whether unbeliever or believer, you're a believer, but so that you can mature as that day comes. If we look at those two reasons, then we'll look at the building project or whether. God's answering a prayer that you have or healing, any of those, while we wait and say, Jesus, what do you want me to be doing while I'm waiting? You're waiting for, Jesus, you're waiting for me for something. What can I do while I'm waiting? And we focus on those two areas others becoming believers and my faith maturing. Both of those should be important personally and for us as a church. We can do a lot of good ministry without a building. It's going to help, but it's not the point. It's not the purpose of what we're all about. And so we can be good busy while we wait. So I want you to think that for these moments in your life too, not just about our church and our building project, but anything you're waiting for, any prayer, any healing, any right? Jesus, what can I do while I wait? Because Jesus is waiting for you to do something. Secondly, here's a more important question. This goes with the first one and they go together. Jesus, what are you doing while I wait? See, Jesus gives us the command to be good busy because he's good busy first and he wants us to be good busy because he's good busy for us. Here's what I did for you. Um, I looked in Thessalonians and found some words that describe what Jesus is doing right now while we wait for his return or while you're waiting for anything. And these are words to encourage you about Jesus being good busy just for you while you wait. Here they are. The references are there on the screen. Um, they're in the worship folder too. I'm going to read them in order right here from Thessalonians, right from God's word. It says, Jesus is at work in you who believe. At work. See, Jesus is actively working. He's not bad, busy, busy, doing nothing. He's actively working in you who believe. Not just out there, not just in these walls, but in your heart. Jesus is at work while you're waiting. He loves your heart. He's interested in you. And you're more important to him than $3.25 million building project. You're more important to him than physical healing. You, You are that important to him that he'll orchestrate circumstances around so he can work in your heart. As he's doing that, it says he makes your love increase and overflow for each other and for everyone else. Your love increase. Are there people in your life who are difficult to love? We all have those folks. Jesus is working in your heart so that you can love them like he does. He's at work. Jesus strengthens your heart so that you will be blameless and holy when he returns. See that? He's strengthening. here. His work is in here. This is where he wants to do most his building. In you to strengthen you. You are loved by the Lord because God chose you as first fruits to be saved through the sanctifying work of the Spirit and through belief in the truth. God uses his truth of his word so that the Spirit can be sanctifying you. That means he's washing you up and cleaning you and setting you apart like special china. And And you're special to him and he's making you special in this world all while you're waiting. The Lord is faithful. He will strengthen you and protect you from the evil one. Is the devil busy? Absolutely. Does he want your soul? Absolutely. Does he want you to sin? You bet he does. Does he lie to you all the time? Does Jesus protect you from him? Yes, but most often, not by putting you in a bubble or a force field, but but he strengthens you, this says to fight off the devil and his ways. And you can. You're stronger than the devil himself when Jesus is strengthening you and working on your heart. All this Jesus is doing. The devil can't win. Jesus directs your hearts into God's love. Ever feel like you're not as close to God as you want to be? That you want to love him more than you do? This says Jesus is working on that. And you probably love God more than you know you do. Because of Jesus working in your heart. And you're closer to God than you think you are because of Jesus working in your heart. Jesus will not let you go while he waits for you. Jesus gives you peace at all times and in every way. There is no circumstance in you or around you that can rob you of peace unless you let it. Because Jesus gives you his peace as a gift in your life. And, and here's the kicker. Here's the final one. That Jesus' love never fails. His forgiveness is always enough. Whatever amount you need, little, big, right side or left side, mistake, mess, whatever you need, His forgiveness is enough. And this last promise says it, the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ will be with you all. For all of those reasons, Paul then writes in verse 13, never tire of doing what is good. I've been there and I can see how it happens. We get burned out once in a while. There's, the caregiver fatigue is a reality. I, I have it in my family. My dad's in a nursing home and my mom takes care of him on a daily basis. and it, It's hard. Being a mom or a dad is hard work, right? Volunteering in church, that's, a, that's hard. Sometimes the pastors make it even more difficult. But there is such a thing here, a blessing for us, that we can look at this and say, I'm not going to get burned out. Taking care of my kiddos, taking care of my parents, taking care of my spouse, taking care of the home, taking care of my business, taking care of our church. God, I'm not backing away because you don't back away from me either. Does Jesus ever tire of doing what is good? Never. Jesus never stands and watches you while he waits for you. (sighs) With crossed arms and cocked head and smirk and sneer on his face. What are you doing? He doesn't do that. He's not frustrated with you. He's not irritated by your missteps when he has an assignment for you to go one way and you go the other. He's not unhappy with you because he sees you through his saving work and the sanctifying work of the Spirit that makes you holy and blameless. Jesus knows and believes all that and he's lifted. He's your Savior. He's your God. So being good busy versus bad busy I think is a lot less about technique and skill and reading the right blogs and following the right time manager or expert. I think it's less about that and more about seeing how much Jesus loves you and how he's a good busy for you and, and he lets you be a good busy for him and for others too. Jesus never tires of doing what is right. And then he gives you this gift. This is the third of three reasons why this is important. He gives you models to follow. Or that, that middle section of this of this. From Second um, Thessalonians, Paul talks about, right? We and the other apostles, Thessalonians, we were models to you. He's not bragging. He's not boasting. He's just saying, we, we wanted to give you a, a pattern. We wanted to help you take little baby steps in the right path to being good busy. And guess what? The Thessalonians did that. And then later, they became a model for other churches to look at and be blessed because the Thessalonians were being good busy and it's, it's all passed along. So, Recap. Why is it important for Jesus that we're good busy? Number one, so that we realize we're not waiting for him. He's waiting for us. Number two, so that we take a step back and see how he's good busy for us while we wait. And that helps us be good busy too. And thirdly, he gives us gifts. He gives us examples and models to follow. You think of some of our leaders here in our own church are good examples of good busy, and they're trying to set that pattern and example for us as a church as a whole to be good busy about ministry and activity. Find a mentor, be a mentor. Those all wrap up in one final question. How was your Black Friday? I look out there and I don't see any black eyes. I don't see anybody's forehead beat to a pulp in any way. So I think for the most part, you had a safe and successful Black Friday, right? Uh, (laughs) if, If Jesus returned on Black Friday and he observed our American culture, right, celebrating this iconic event, Black Friday, would he get the sense that that Black Friday is good busy or bad busy, right? Even our own pundits and our own marketers and and commercials kind of give this general sense like Black Friday is ah chaos, look out. And I know there's good people and good sales and good stewardship and good things that happen on Black Friday. I'm not saying it's not some of you do good things I do on Black Friday. But in general, the sense of it, the culture of it is... Out of control, chaos, and even danger. Uh, Really, Black Friday is no different than any other Friday or any other day in in our world, in our economy. I I just see it as taking taking what we value as American citizens, and just, it's the same song, we just turn up the volume. Right? I want it all, I want it now, and I don't care if I can't afford it. I have... I have rights. I'm an American. I'm entitled. I have a right to that parking spot, not you. That's my spot. I have a right to that place in the, in the cashier line. That's not your That's my place. I have a right to that last item on the shelf. That belongs to me. Right? Entitlement. That's all about our American culture of entitlement. And then we tend to build our identity on things uh, uh, that we can purchase and own more than God owning us. And so all those just get ratcheted up 10 notches on Black Friday, and it becomes a day like any other day except more intense. Jesus has something better for us, and Jesus promises something more for you, more than any benefits you can find on Black Friday, and here it is. It's another Friday, a different Friday. It started way before Black Friday was invented, long ago when Jesus was on this planet. And it's a Friday that he, even though he died and the, and the sky turned dark and the earth shook on this Friday, we don't call it black. We call it good. It was a good Friday long ago. I, let's call it good busy Friday. Where Jesus was doing everything that he was supposed to be doing. And he wasn't sailing the seven seas and he wasn't conquering the Romans and he wasn't coming up with a common cure for leprosy or cancer. Those are all good things. But he was focused in a good busy on dying for you focused on maxing out his credit. And with it, he purchased your sins so that he would own them just for a moment. And when he owned them, he took them to hell with him and he buried them there and they stayed in his tomb and in hell and they did not come out. And he rose from the dead victorious and your mistakes and your failures and your bad busy were gone forever. And he rose from the dead, the good busy Savior, And now all there is for you is good busy too. It's all he sees and all he wants and all he will bless you with. So let's make every day, not Black Friday, but every day Good Friday. As we see ourselves on the cross with Jesus and we see his payment of sin for us and we focus on Jesus, the goodest, busiest ever, and see him helping us be good busy too, personally and as a church. That's our prayer. Amen.